Okay, so I, wanna, I, wanna, I brought a prop today. And I want to share something very special that I received with you guys, okay? You will instantly understand what this thing is, okay? All right? Thank you. This is a official Wake Forest University name tag. And, uh, thank you. Um, I still don't work here, but I still have, I have a name tag. And um, this, when you put this thing on, it conveys power. You know, um, and like even if it's just tour, tour guide power, it conveys power. And um, when Patty, who is the administrator for the campus ministry office, she said, we're ordering these. What do you want on your name tag? And I thought, well, I could put anything I want to on this name tag. Um, so I put Reverend Chris Warren to show everybody that I've gone to school. And um, but I, I spent a long time thinking exactly what I wanted to be on this name tag. Right. And. Um, this semester, we have been looking at these places in the Gospel of John where Jesus um, sort of introduces himself and t- says what he's all about. In some ways, these I am statements in John are like, Jesus, we're making you a Wake Forest name tag. What would you like to include on there? He's like, I wanted to say Jesus, the bread of life. Um, that's how I describe. I'm going to take this off because it's too much. It's too powerful for even for me. Um, or he might say, I'm Jesus, I'm, uh, you know, the light of the world. And so we've been asking this question as we look at these passages, who is Jesus? And you may be here and you're like, I come from a Jesus-following tradition, I went to church, so it made sense that I found my way into RUF, um, and I love that. You may hear and be, be like, that, this is really new and foreign to me, this notion of Jesus. I came to RUF for the first time as a student, and I had never really been to church except for like a a wedding. So it was all very strange. Um, And that might be you. And you might be here even and be like, I have some friends here. I'm checking this out, but I'm not really into Jesus. Uh, Regardless, I think we would all recognize that historically Jesus is a very important person. And so it bears um, our attention for us to discover who he said actually that he was because he's worth knowing. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read this long passage, and I'm going to make some comments along the way, and then make some comments at the end. So let's take a moment to pray. I want to invite you where you're sitting uh, to take a breath, um, to close your eyes if you're comfortable doing that, um, to allow yourself to settle. God made you a body and a soul. So as your body settles, allow your soul to settle like a pebble falling to the bottom of a still pool. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this space. Thank you for the opportunity to sit together and to say nothing. To simply exist in the same room with these sisters and brothers. Lord, thank you that you made each of us. That you made us in love. That you made us with intention. 
that you are at work powerfully in our story and what has been really painful and what has been really joyful, you are able to use all those things to make us um, creatures that we can't even imagine. So Lord, I pray that you would be near to us as we acknowledge the person to our left and to our right, the person that's in front of us and behind us, and we sense their closeness to us, and we sense that they are real. Lord, you are even closer to each of us than they are. And you are even more real than they are. And we pray, Lord, that no matter where we're coming from, that you would help us to encounter you as we hear, Lord Jesus, from your word and we hear about your life and what you've done. Would you show up to us by your spirit? We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Okay, so this is in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. There's four eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this is what John records in John, chapter 11. And it's on the screen as well. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair, which is a great story that comes in the next chapter. So the sisters sent word to Jesus. And look what they say. Lord, the one you love is sick. They don't say, hey, we need you to come. Hey, if you could come heal him, that would be great. They don't even ask him to do anything. They know that Jesus loves them and loves their brother. So they just say, hey, the one that you love is sick. And we're going we're gonna to leave the rest to you. Now, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Which, spoiler alert, it does end in death. But um, anyway. No, it's for God's glory that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard, <laughs> this like doesn't make any sense. He loved them. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Um, <laughs> this, okay. Um, and then he said to his disciples, I think it's like, you know, he had to finish up his business. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. They had been away across the Jordan in the wilderness. And uh, he says, let's go back to Judea. That's where Jerusalem is. And they say, but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, like in the last chapter. And yet you're going back? Like, he's like, let's go to Judea, to, right outside of Jerusalem, to see my friend. And they're like, we just left there because they wanted to kill you. It's a literal death trap for you. To, if you go back to Jerusalem, that they are not going to let you go. Because in the last chapter that we were looking at last week, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And they're like, picked up stones to kill him. And he's like, what are, the, what are you going to kill me for? I've done all these good deeds. And they're like, we're not going to kill you because you've done good deeds. We're going to kill you because you said you were God. And that's not okay. And he had managed to escape. And now he is going back because he loves Lazarus. 
he is putting into practice what he has said, that greater love has no one than this than they lay down their life for their friend. He's saying, I am willing to risk death that Lazarus might live. Okay, so he's going back. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Again, not accurate, um, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. That's what he needs. You don't wake him up. He needs to sleep. He's going to get over this thing. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep, obviously. So he then told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. In case that wasn't clear. No, it wasn't clear because he said he wasn't going to die. And then he said he was asleep. But. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, or the twin, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. We're all going to die when we go to Jerusalem. Let's get on with it. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Again, he didn't get in a super hurry. Um, Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. This is how close he's coming. People will know that he's there. The people that want to kill him for blasphemy will know that he's there. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary from Jerusalem to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. So Martha, the one sister, goes out. She runs out to Jesus. She catches him along the way. She wants to speak to him alone. And she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Sort of what she's saying when he when he approaches, if you had been, you know, if you had hurried to be here, you would have been incapable of healing him. We reached out to you and said the one that you love is ill. If you had come and shown your love, then you would have been able to intervene. But now. It's too late. He's already dead. Um, Part of what's beautiful about this is that there's this sense that Jesus delays. And it's almost like he wants it to seem the most impossible. Like the deader Lazarus is, the better, you know, for me. So she, she comes out to him, she says this, and Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I've got this, you know, religious system. I know that in the end, conceptually, Lazarus is going to be raised again. Sure. But listen to what Jesus says. I am the resurrection and the life. She's like, conceptually, I know that at the end of time, Lazarus is going to rise again. And Jesus says, that's a great spiritual concept. I am the resurrection. I don't just do resurrection. I don't give resurrection. I don't promise resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. You know, like when a receiver catches a pass and they say, I'm him. (laughs) He's like, I'm, I'm him. I'm resurrection. I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. 
And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Um, The answer probably would be no. I mean, this is the craziest promise someone says. If you believe in me, you'll never die. It's like if someone's offering that, you should probably be pretty skeptical. Because it has not been shown to be true demonstrably before this point. But she says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Who, yeah, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. Jesus is still out on the road, and he says, why don't you go and get Mary, my friend? He calls her out. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to her brother's tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, the same thing as her sister, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She falls at his feet. Now, Mary comes and speaks, Martha comes and speaks to him and she is understanding things cognitively and she needs Jesus to speak truth to her. And he does. He knows exactly what she needs. Mary comes to him. She falls at his feet. She says the exact same thing. And Jesus doesn't say anything. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And what those words mean is that Jesus was deeply angry in his bowels and he was torn up. His stomach was torn up. He um, became deeply upset along with them. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus stayed where he was. He felt the deep anger of death. And he became overwhelmed and wept because Jesus's love is not like conceptual or an idea. It's an actual real life, active reality for him. He loved these people and this one who had died so deeply that he wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Should have came earlier. Jesus, once more deeply moved and angry and torn up, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, in case you forgot who she was, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. The stench of death will come out and we will smell it. I pulled out, by the way, real quick, this is a sidebar. Potamius of Lisbon, back in the fourth, you all know Potamius of Lisbon. Um, back in the fourth century, he said this about Lazarus's body. Here indeed, through the gloomy spheres of darkness and shades of black horror, that is, throughout the course of four days that are renewed in accordance with the alternate interchange, blah, 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 whatever. He lay with his jaws gaping and hanging down, his teeth in his mouth dropping. His mouth obstructed, obstructed since he was really putrefying like a crumbly clod, consumed by earthly destruction, and his unhappy burial condemned his nerve bundles 
with the essence of his body to a miserable corruption. Thus, with the contraction of his limbs, his blackened skin is stretched over the dry and easy-to-count ribs, and a stream of bodily fluid, which is released from the cavity of the entrails, an already foul-smelling sewer, flowed filthy and dark to the feet of the corpse. That's what she means when she says there's a bad odor. Um, he had been dead long, long enough that all of his cells in his body have died. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man who had been dead for four days, who had experienced complete cellular death, came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Then Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus spoke to a dead body from a distance. He reached down into death and reanimated the entire dead organism back to life. He reanimated a a corpse, a a decomposing corpse, just with a word. And we're not going to read the end, but then they say, okay, now we really want to kill you. Okay. Now, I read all this and give all this commentary. What does this story, if we can trust it, tell us about Jesus? Okay. If this was your first interaction with the Lord Jesus and you were trying to build an idea of who he would be, who he would put on his name tag, what does this tell us? Well, it tells us that he's deeply loving. That Jesus' love, his love for us is not just something that is a trite theological concept, but is an active reality. He loved each of these sisters with intention, not in a vague way, but specific and real. And this is a love that led him to his own death. He loved these people so much that he went into a death trap for them, which is admirable. Okay, so Jesus is deeply loving. You've probably heard that one before. Uh, it shows that Jesus has power over death. That's obvious. He reversed cell death, gave life to, to, to dead tissue. That he did something that no one else could do. Now, we have a lot of schemes in which we try to avoid thinking about dying or dying. The main of them is the Sutton Center that's over there. Um, we lean upon it and we lean upon our supplements We become doctors. Many of you want to be doctors because you want to bring healing into people's lives and and postpone death as long as possible. But all of our attempts to beat death eventually fail. It's like we're at a vending machine and we just have this one floppy dollar. We put it in. It's like, we put it in. So then we reach in for some coinage. But all we have is pennies, and they just go to the bottom again and again and again. And Jesus comes on the scene, and he's like, oh, someone died. He doesn't have a crisp dollar. He doesn't even have a sack of Jawea coin. He has the key to the vending machine itself. 
He has the keys to death himself. And he's able to open it up just by saying a word. Someone literally comes back to life, which is legitimately impossible. But they still didn't quite understand what Jesus was doing. Lazarus died again. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but he went on to live an indeterminate amount of time and died again. But Jesus was not content with that. Jesus allowed himself to be offered up to death. And the reason why he did that was because he wanted to undo the entire enterprise of death that is that has reigned throughout all of human history and since our first parents turned from God. So he allowed himself to go, and then he actually went into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey where everybody could see him. And he allowed himself under the fists of senseless men and was laid in a tomb from which a foul-smelling sewer would have flowed filthy from his body. And he walked out of the grave, never to die again. Now, there's a guy named Paul who writes in the Bible. And in a letter to a church in Corinth, he says, if that did not happen, if Jesus didn't uh, be raised from the dead, if he was not resurrected, if he's not currently alive, then Christians, people that follow Jesus, should be the most pitied people on the planet. What he's saying is if Christians are trusting in Jesus and he wasn't raised from the dead, we're like that kid that's at the bus stop, but the bus already came, but we don't know that. So we're standing there nervously. I mean, some of you guys are being triggered back to middle school. Um, We're sitting there nervously waiting on a ride that's never going to come. And people should feel bad for Christians. But if Jesus was raised from the dead, It changes everything. This past weekend, I had to go do a wedding. Um, I got to go do a wedding. Um, uh, And uh, it was beautiful. And it was on Baldhead Island. But I had an event, as you guys know, a lot of you were there on Saturday morning. And it's four hours to get to the ferry from here. And we had to catch the three o'clock ferry. And we got there. And we got all our stuff out. We had our tickets. And they had the people waiting for the ferry. And they said, we only have three spots on the ferry. There was five of us. Um, so we were like making this plan about how I'm going to go on the ferry because I have to officiate the wedding and the others will just come later. And they loaded everybody onto the ferry and the guy came back and he said, actually, we have exactly five spots on this ferry. And we got on the ferry and we were able to make the wedding. If the resurrection is true, then you get to catch the ferry to the wedding. You're either on the ferry or you're not. And I'll be real with you guys. Um, Many of you have lost someone that's very dear to you. Um, Could have been recently, could have been a long time ago. Uh, About three years ago, two years ago, actually, um, I lost a very dear friend of mine uh, who took his life. And I took his wife to the hospital to see him. And while he was still on the machine, but he was he was not going to make it. And I stood there and I touched his foot, which was without life. And all I could think was, I really, really hope that this resurrection is true. 
And if you have not experienced that, then you will come to a place where you're like, I really, really want and need this to be true. And I need to know if it's true. You will want the resurrection to be true at some point, even if you don't today. And the good news is that it is true. But that's actually not the point of this passage. It's not the point of this story at all. If you look through the passage and you just try to find the words that are repeated the most, the word that's repeated the most is believe. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? I believe this. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? He prays to God that they may believe that you sent me. The question for us is, will you believe? Will you trust in Jesus? People saw Lazarus walk out of the tomb and they refused to believe that Jesus was who he said he was. John is like the first century Ted Lasso. Believe. (laughs) The signs that Jesus is doing, even his own resurrection, um, are like this name tag. If this name tag does one thing, it shows legitimacy. That you belong. That you are who you say that you are and you're allowed to be here. What Jesus' signs show is that you can trust him and that he is God and he's worth resting in. So, to bring this all down, think about the amount of energy that you have spent trying to find your people especially if this is your first semester. Everybody comes into college. I don't know what, who tells everybody this, but they're like, when you get to college, you're going to meet your future bridesmaids and groomsmen. (laughs) And you're going to form a bond that is unbreakable. And it's going to happen within the first three weeks of college. Um, (laughs) And maybe you'll even find the person that you'll be with at the wedding. Um, We spend a lot of energy trying to find our people. You may have walked into this room and said, are these my people or not? I don't know. And uh, God has spent his energy finding a people. Jesus died and was raised because Jesus wants to be close to you forever. And that's why he doesn't want you to die. He wants to be your people. And the question is, will you believe? Will you trust him? And I want to leave you with one last thing because I've already taken up too much of your time. I want to read something about what this kind of believing in the resurrected Jesus actually looks like in someone's life day to day. And this is from... A friend of mine's wife, who has now died, her name was Kara. So this was from her blog. It was called Mundane Faithfulness. She's since died of cancer a few years ago. And she wrote this blog while she was, um, while she was dying. She said, today my oldest was on fall break, and we ran all over town trying to tighten up all the loose ends before chemo has me down for the count. We stopped by the office of my publisher and their foyer was breathtaking. 
My daughter stood right in front of me, our eyes meeting. Her height has been shocking to me lately. She's about to be taller than me. She's a beauty, beautiful in the way love has made her beautiful. She hugged me as we stood waiting, hugged me without embarrassment that she was loving her mama in front of strangers. I looked at her squarely and asked her if she could feel my love. She answered in the affirmative. I told her that my love would always be with her, even in the places I may not be with her. That the Bible says love never ends. And this love, this amazing love I feel towards my people, towards you in this breath, it will not end. It's bathed in the love Jesus has for me. His overflowing love that extends itself through my broken body will last forever and ever. Then our friends that have loved us so well came and spoke to us about the book. She published the book. You should buy it. It's great. We all stood awed by what God is doing through our brokenness. We are all humbled. Then my dear publicist, Lisa, asked if we could pray together. As she started to pray, my daughter grabbed my hand. As Lisa was praying, my dear Ella tapped once. Then she tapped four times on my hand and after a pause, tapped my hand three times. Our secret code for I love you, one, four, three. So much goodness and grace, so much. It's beautiful, really. These moments, these little moments, quietly loving another matter. No one is watching, no one needs to. Teacher loves the one, four, three tap. And in a quiet, sacred moment, tap your heart to the one beside you. Love matters. It never ends. A lot of what I have been given in my life will end at my last breath. But love, it won't. Nor will my prayers. My husband has set up the hammock for me. I plan to go pray, quiet whispering prayers into the future of my loves. It matters. I love you today, dear hearts. Move, move, move in love tonight. Extending love is something you will never regret. Never. She died. And she was right. That her love will never end. Because she is in Jesus and she will live again forever. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, you know each of us. And you know our barriers to belief. So help us. Help us to believe in you because you are alive. Because only you can raise the dead. And because you are who you say you are. The resurrection and the life. So Lord, as we sing this song of putting our hope and our trust in you. Lord, would you send your spirit to make it real to us, we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Now let's stand up and sing our